chapters eleven and twelve of the last three soldiers by william henry shelton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven in which the soldiers make a map the forbearance of the captors to disturb their prisoners was puzzling to the three soldiers huddled together on the point of rocks through the telescope the men could now be plainly seen in their rough mountain dress moving to and fro on their stations and apparently keeping under cover where trees or outhouses were available as a mask at one point several men were grouped together behind a fodder stack as if in consultation and on the road could be seen one who seemed to be watching impatiently for some expected arrival holding the telescope soon grew tiresome and they passed it from one to another but no movement in the gruesome pantomime might escape their observation and the observer for the time being broke the silence at intervals with details of what he saw there cried philip at last the men are getting lively behind the fodder stack now the fellow in the road is waving his hat hold on there comes a man two men on horseback now the sentinels are moving in towards the cabin thus the cordon was drawn close about the house in which the inmates still showed no signs of life the horsemen dismounted and tied their horses to the fence and then with an armed guard advanced to the door lieutenant coleman looked at his watch it was twenty minutes after seven at seven twenty eight the old mountaineer appeared and was passed down the line to the road next came the three officers one after the other and they were removed to one side under guard then the four women seemed to be driven out of the house by the soldiers and forced along by violence into the road some of the men appeared to be breaking the windows of the cabin and others were running out of the open door appropriating some objects and ruthlessly destroying others for the first time the soldier exiles realized how far they were removed by their own will from a world in which they had no part the sufferers were their friends whom they knew not and to help whom they had no power they were like spirits looking down from a world above on the passions of mortals as helpless to interfere as the motionless rocks after a brief consultation the mounted men rode away to the north while the prisoners with their guards advanced in the opposite direction and soon disappeared behind that ridge up which shiftless had climbed to look over in the grey of the morning of the day before a puff of smoke burst from the deserted cabin and rose like a tower into the frosty air fire gleamed through the broken windows and red tongues of flame licked about the dry logs and lashed and forked under the eaves and about the edges of the shingled roof the reflection from the flames reddened the snow in the little clearing the stacks caught fire the boughs of the orchard withered and crisped in the fierce heat now as if satisfied with their work of destruction the men who had remained at the house joined the others behind the ridge and the armed guards with their miserable prisoners soon reappeared moving over the snow and under the bare trees the three soldiers lay out on the rocks above to watch the poor captives picking their way down a stony winding trail forming one straggling file between two flanking columns of mountaineers knowing something of the stoical ways of these people they could feel the silence of that gloomy progress 
they even fancied they could hear the crunching of the snow the rolling of displaced stones on the frosty hillside the crackling of brittle twigs underfoot and the subdued sobbing of the women steadily the procession of ill omen moved along over the snow under the thin trees disappearing and reappearing and dwindling in the distance until it was lost behind the spurs of the mountain called chimney-top by this time the roof of the house had fallen into the burning mass between the two stone chimneys the sun had risen and the dense column of smoke cast a writhing shadow against the snowy face of sheepcliff when the glass was brought to bear on the house and the road below it revealed shiftless and the cove postmaster riding quietly home on their mules doubtless well satisfied with the evil deed their heads had planned as the three soldiers turned back in the direction of their house bromley was in a rage and philip could no longer command himself all three were worn and haggard with loss of sleep and depressed by the outcome of the affair in the valley in fact the disheartening effect of the experiences connected with the first christmas continued to oppress our exiles well into the next year if in the narrow valley on which they were privileged to look down three officers of the old armies had been thus hunted and dragged off before their eyes they had reason to believe that fragments of those armies were receiving similar or worse treatment wherever they might be found time and their daily work gradually calmed their minds and helped them to forget the pain of what they had seen they missed the company of the bear too for even before this great disturbance of their tranquillity that amusing companion of their solitude had burrowed himself away to consume his own fat where not even their telescope could discover him for several months presently the winter snows became deeper on the mountain and they were confined more and more to the house the slow john was frozen up in the branch and the fowls which could no longer forage for their own living hung about the door for the scraps from the table and an occasional handful of corn they roosted in the cabin of the old man of the mountain and now and then in return for their keep laid an egg which was often frozen before it was found the soft clean husks of the corn added to the pine boughs made comfortable beds and the tents spread over the blankets provided abundant covering great bunches of catnip and pennyroyal for tea hung from the rafters and even the wild gentian potent to cure all ailments was not forgotten in the winter outfit the prayer-book and army regulations which formed their library were read and re-read and discussed until theology and the art of clothing and feeding an army were worn threadbare philip who was blessed with a vivid imagination and great originality made up the most marvellous ghost stories and the most heart-rending and finally soul-satisfying romances which were recited in the evenings before the fire to the huge enjoyment of his companions if it was romance a fat pine knot thrust between the logs illumined the interior and searched the farthest corners and crannies of the room with a flood of light and in case it was a ghost story the logs were left to burn low and fall piecemeal into the red coals before the eyes of the three figures sitting half revealed in sympathetic obscurity 
one of the most interesting incidents of the first winter was the construction by lieutenant coleman of a map of the old united states and the plotting thereon of the confederacy as they supposed it to be when it is remembered that the map was drawn entirely from memory the clear topographical knowledge of the officer was to say the least surprising the first reference to the map is found in lieutenant coleman's entry in the diary for the twenty fourth of january eighteen sixty five as we were sitting before the fire last night george introduced a subject which by common consent we have rather avoided any reference to or conversation upon this related to the probable boundaries of the new nation established by the triumphant confederates we had no doubt that the confederacy embraced all the states which were the slaveholding states at the outbreak of the rebellion and as they doubtless had made washington their capital it was more than probable that they had added little delaware to maryland on their northern border we assumed that so long as there were two governments in the old territory the ohio river would be accepted as a natural boundary as far as to the mississippi but we were of widely different opinions as to the line of separation thence george who is inclined to the darker view is of the opinion that the southern republic if it be a republic at all would certainly demand an opening to the pacific ocean and therefore must embrace a part if not the whole of california february sixteen we have been confined to the house two days by a driving snowstorm and the territorial extent of the confederacy has come up again not however for the first time since the discussion on the twenty third of january as we still have one stormy month before the opening of spring i have determined to enter upon the construction of a map which shall lay down the probable boundaries of the two nations when george and i are unable to agree the point in dispute will be argued before philip and settled by the votes of the three on february seventeen then this map was begun on the inner side of one of the rubber ponchos after buttoning down and gluing with pitch the opening in the centre it was stretched on a frame and thus provided a clean white canvas five feet square on which to draw the map if lieutenant coleman and his companions had known that general sherman after whom they had named their island in the sky and whom they mourned as dead was that very morning marching into the city of columbia the capital of south carolina with all his bands playing and flags flying the map would never have been made and the life on the mountain would have come to a sudden end fortunately for the continuance of this history they were ignorant of that fact and lieutenant coleman on this very day began plotting his map with charcoal after going over the coasts and watercourses and establishing the boundaries of states and that greatest and most difficult of all boundaries the one between the two countries he would blow off the charcoal and complete the details with ink of this necessary fluid there was a canteen full which had been made in the fall from oak galls lumps or balls produced on the oak leaves by tiny insects and the purple pokeberries which had been gathered from the field below the ledge the oak leaves had been steeped in warm water and this mixture together with the berries had been strained through a cloth and bottled up in the canteen 
while at west point cadet coleman of the class of sixty three had devoted himself to mapping and he believed he was tolerably familiar with his subject until at the very outset difficulties began to arise he found that his knowledge about the northwestern territories was shaky and it was difficult to convince bromley that arkansas was not west of kansas they finally gave little delaware to the confederacy accepting the bay and river as a natural geographical separation thence they followed the southern boundary of pennsylvania to the ohio river the ohio and mississippi to the southern boundary of iowa and thence west and south on the northern and western frontiers of missouri the indian territory became the first point of disagreement under date of march one eighteen sixty five lieutenant coleman says with the aid of philip i pressed the boundary line south to the red river we then conceded texas to the confederacy i was disposed to establish the extreme western boundary of the confederacy as identical with the western frontier of texas george allowed this so far as the rio grande formed a natural boundary along the frontier of mexico but stoutly insisted that the successful southerners would never consent to a settlement which did not extend their borders to the pacific ocean to this claim on the part of the south he contended that the imbecility of congress and the timidity of northern leaders would offer little or no opposition he held that if they took part of california they might as well take the whole and in either case they would take new mexico and arizona as the natural connection with their pacific territory i contended that california had never been a slave state and would never consent to such an arrangement to this george replied that california was without troops and that her wishes would not be a factor in the solution of the problem that the south flushed with victory could not be logically expected to content itself with less that it would be a matter to be settled between the two governments and that for his part he saw no reason to believe that the north in view of its blunders civil and its failures military would have the power or the courage to prevent such seizure by the enemy philip leaned to this view and was even willing to throw in utah for sentimental reasons bromley showed great skill and cleverness in advocating his peculiar views when he had a point to gain with the natural cunning of a legal mind he took care to begin his argument by claiming much more than he expected to establish thus not content with the concession of california and the southern tier of territories leading thereto he called the attention of the others to the great rocky mountain range offering itself from the northwestern extremity of texas to the british possessions as a natural geographical wall between the nations he admitted that the western men had been the bone and sinew of the late fruitless struggle but they were the hardy soldiers of illinois wisconsin iowa and kansas still far to the east of the great mountain range with vast uncivilized territories between to this view lieutenant coleman opposed the jealousy of the great ally of the south as not likely to favor an unequal partition he said that england would certainly not lend her aid to bringing the more aggressive of the two nations up to her own colonial borders besides he contended the south was without a navy and at the outset could never defend such a great addition to her already vastly superior coastline this long argument resulted in a compromise and by the decision of philip 
california arizona and new mexico were given to the confederacy and half the pacific coast was saved to the old government bromley's matter-of-fact character had no sentimental side he was a worker and no dreamer he threw himself with all the weight of his conviction and the force of his well-trained mind into the discussion of the extent of the confederate victory but the moment the boundary was settled he seemed to forget the existence of the map and to lose himself in the next piece of work after completing the outlines of the map in ink lieutenant coleman began laying a tone of lines over the whole confederacy as the work progressed the three soldiers watched the new power creeping like an ominous shadow over the map the one break in the expanse of gloom was the white star at the northwestern corner of north carolina which marked the location of sherman territory when the map was finished and hung on the logs the confederacy looked like nothing so much as a huge dragon crouching on the gulf of mexico with the neck and head elevated along the pacific and the tail brushing cuba although they accepted the map without further discussion its white face looking down on them from the wall as they sat about the evening fire provoked many a talk about affairs in the world below the time for the election of a new president had passed since they had been on the mountain after the complete and pitiful collapse of lincoln's administration they had no doubt that mcclellan had been elected philip thought the new capital should be located at piqua ohio which was where his uncle lived as it was near the center of population but bromley favored the city of cleveland ohio he pointed out extended entirely across the union and as the state which linked the two parts together it would need to be strongly guarded and the capital with its troops and fortifications would strengthen that weak link in the chain cincinnati was too close to the enemy's territory to be thought of as a capital shortly after undertaking the map lieutenant coleman had the good fortune to bring down a large gray eagle which although soaring high above the valleys was just skimming the mountain top this was a fortunate event because the very last steel pin had become very worn and corroded lieutenant coleman had been longing above all things for quills and now that he wrote again with an easy and flowing hand he seems to have forgotten that his supply of paper was limited in the controversy over the map the entries are of unusual length and then suddenly they become brief and cramped and are written in so small a hand that there can be no doubt the writer took sudden alarm on discovering how few blank pages were left in the book since christmas the telescope had rarely been taken from its place on the chimney and if they looked over into the cove or the valley without it those snow-covered regions below were far-off countries where the houses showed only as rounded forms and the human ants who lived in them were scarcely visible chapter twelve how the bear disgraced himself at last the long winter came to an end by the middle of march the warm sun and soft south winds began to thaw the february snows on such a day when the afternoon sun beat with unusual warmth on the northern face of the mountain the three soldiers stood together in front of the house noting everywhere the joyful signs of the approach of spring the snow where it lay thickest in the hollows of the plateau was soft and porous and grimy with dirt 
there were bare spaces here and there on the ground and where a stick or a stone showed through the thin crust the snow had retired around it as if it gave out a heat of its own the melting icicles pendant from the eaves glittered in the sun and dropped into the channels alongside the walls they had a great longing to see the grass and the leaves again and welcome the early birds of spring as they looked about on these hopeful signs in the midst of the great stillness to which they had become used a sudden deafening crash rang in their startled ears the sound was like the explosion of a mine or the dull roar of a siege mortar at a little distance away it came from the cove to the north and the first crash was followed by lesser reports and each sound was echoed back from the mountains beyond the first thought of the three soldiers was of the opening of a battle their first fear was that a great mass of earth and rock had fallen from the edge of the plateau to the base of the mountain they made their way cautiously in the direction of the sound almost distrusting the ground under their feet the gnarled chestnuts on the edge of the cliff were as firmly rooted as ever when they had advanced to where philip's sharp eye caught the first view of the postmaster's cabin through the twisted tree trunks he remembered the words of andy the guide on the night when they had waited for the moon to go down he quickly caught the arms of his companions it's the avalanche he said the icicles and the ice falling into the cove from the face of the great boulder they could see tiny figures standing about the cabin and they shrank back lest they too might be seen by the people who were evidently gazing with all their eyes at the top of the mountain just then there was another deafening crash and at intervals all day long they heard the falling of the ice they are the opening guns of spring said lieutenant coleman and now that they knew what the sound was they listened eagerly for each report late on that very afternoon as they sat together outside the house they saw tumbler the bear shambling down the hillside in front of the house and they had no doubt he had been awakened from his winter's nap by the roar of the avalanche he was thin of flesh and ragged of fur and so weak on his clumsy legs that he sat down at short intervals to rest he made his way first to the branch where he refreshed himself with a drink and then came on with renewed vigour toward the house he was such a very disreputable-looking bear and had been gone so long and must be so dangerously hungry that the men stood up doubtfully at his approach until they saw a weak movement of his stumpy tail and the mild look in his brown eyes as he seated himself on the chips and lolled out his red tongue philip brought him a handful of roast potatoes which he devoured with a relish and then stood up so handsomely to ask for more that they rolled him raw ones until his hunger was satisfied after which he waddled through the open door and lay down for another nap in his old place by the fire just as if he had gone out but yesterday which was probably just what he thought he had done by this time the last page of the station journal had been used and lieutenant coleman had added to it the five fly leaves of the precious blue book which he had cut out neatly with his knife paper was so scarce at last that on this march sixteen which was the day the bear woke up the circumstance of the avalanche alone was recorded and that was entered after the date in the most wonderfully small and cramped letters you can imagine 
now philip was of the opinion that the return of the bear was of quite as much importance as the falling of the ice it happened that he had in his breast pocket a letter which had been written to him by his uncle it was postmarked pica ohio and addressed philip welton company c second ohio infantry camp near resaca georgia philip had been looking over coleman's shoulder as he made the cramped entry in the diary now look here said he taking up the quill as it was laid down if you don't choose to make a record of the bear i will so taking from his pocket the letter he wrote across the top of the envelope whiteside mountain march sixteenth eighteen sixty five tumbler the bear woke up to-day signed philip welton george bromley frederick henry coleman well said coleman what are you going to do with that drop it over into the cove not a bit of it said philip i am just going to keep the record out of respect to the bear and with that as it happened he put the envelope back in one pocket and the letter in another but a few weeks later when the snow had quite gone and the buds were beginning to swell on the trees philip was chopping on the hill where the boulder side of the mountain joined the cliff above the spring and as he grew warm with his work he cast off his cavalry jacket and it happened in some way that the envelope on which he had written fell out into the grass philip did not notice this loss at the time and it was a week before he missed the envelope he kept his loss to himself at first but as he became alarmed lest it should blow over into the cove and disclose their hiding-place he confessed to lieutenant coleman what had happened the three soldiers searched everywhere for this dangerous paper except in the snug place under the tuft of grass where it lay it was suspected that philip was repenting of the agreement he had made to remain on the mountain and both coleman and bromley lectured him roundly for his carelessness while philip was still chafing under the suspicion of his comrades all the more that he was conscious of his perfect loyalty to the old flag and to the compact they had made together for its sake the bear was growing stronger every day and more mischievous although he had the whole plateau to roam over nothing seemed to please tumbler so much as to nose about and dig into the grave of the old man of the mountain he was such a wicked bear that the more they kicked and cuffed him away the more stubbornly he came back to his unholy work and then it appeared that the light soil of the mound had been taken possession of by a colony of ants it was a temptation such as no hungry bear could resist and the sacrilege was so offensive to the three soldiers that they resolved to remove the last remnant of the ant hill and fill it in with clay in which no insect could live it was after supper when they came to this resolution and they fell to work at once with a wooden spade and a piece of tent-cloth in which philip carried the dirt a stone's throw away and piled it into a new mound the bear seemed to think this was all for his benefit and while the work went merrily on he rooted into the new heap and wagged his stumpy tail with every evidence of gratitude and satisfaction it was a sufficiently disagreeable task for coleman and bromley whose legs and bodies were bitten by the ants until they danced with pain at the same time the little pests went up philip's sleeves and came out on his neck bad as the business was they set their teeth and kept at work determined to finish it now they had begun 
of course the colony was mostly near the surface of the ground but when they had gone down three feet into the sandy soil there were still ants burrowing about now bromley was a man of great resolution and perseverance and although it was growing dark he had no thought of stopping work so he called for a pine torch which coleman held on the bank above when the earth gave way the oak slab with the peculiar inscription one who wishes to be forgotten was tenderly removed and leaned against the hut to be reverently reset the next day annoying as the ants were the soldiers continued their work with that feeling of awe which always attends the disturbing of a grave and as they dug they spoke with charity and tenderness of the old man of the mountain it made them think of the time when they themselves would be laid to rest in the same soil and if they breathed any inward prayer it was that their remains might sleep undisturbed although they were young and death seemed a long way off the thought came to them of the last survivor and how lonely he would be and how when he should die there would be no one left to bury his poor body in the ground whatever happens said philip i don't want to be the last the pine torch flared and smoked in the cool night wind and lighted the solemn faces of the three soldiers as well as the hole in the earth where bromley still stood to his middle there was yet a little loose earth to be thrown out before they left the work for the night and philip had brought some sticks of wood to lay over the grave lest in the morning the bears should begin to dig where they had left off he had in fact come up and seated himself in the circle of light and was looking on with great interest at their proceedings i declare said bromley just then straightening himself i have gone too far already my spade struck on the coffin that is i think it did perhaps i had better see what condition it is in what do you think fred no said philip cover it up it will be as well said lieutenant coleman now that we have the opportunity to see that everything is all right i can't help feeling that the old man's remains are in our care hold the light nearer then said bromley as he got down on his knees and commenced to paw away the loose earth with his hands philip was silent and soldier though he was his face blanched in the neighbourhood of one poor coffin both the men outside were staring intently into the open grave the torchlight fell broadly on bromley's back and cast a black shadow from his bent body into the space below where his hands were at work well this is queer said he straightening his back and showing a surprised face to the light i've struck the chime of a cask no cried coleman and philip together yes i have said bromley hand me the spade now the work of digging was begun in good earnest and i am afraid with less awe than before of what lay below light as the soil was the opening had to be enlarged and it was hard upon midnight when the small beer-keg was free enough to be moved from its resting-place with the first joggle bromley gave it there was a sound of chinking like coin do you hear that exclaimed bromley that's not the sound of bones it's money cried philip lieutenant coleman said nothing but jumping down to the aid of bromley they lifted it out on the grass where it rolled gently down a little slope chinkity chink chinkity chink bring the axe no let's roll it into the house it's money it's nails bring it into the fire said lieutenant coleman going ahead with the torch so they rolled the tough old cask chinkity chink 
around the cabin and up to the house and into the open door and across the earthen floor and set it on end on the stone hearth they were reeking with perspiration coleman threw the torch upon the smouldering logs and by the time bromley had the axe there was a ruddy light through the room stand back he cried as he swung the axe aloft three times the axe rang on the head of the cask the firelight glittered in the eyes of the soldiers before the strong head gave way on one side and three golden guineas bounced out on to the hearth bromley dropped the axe and then all three without deigning to notice the gold pieces upon the floor thrust their hands deep down into the shining mass of gold coin all hustled and pushed one another at the opening philip was on the point of striking out right and left in sheer excitement and in their scramble the cask was overturned so that the yellow pieces poured out upon the floor and the hearth and some flopped into the fire while others rolled here and there into the dark corners of the room the golden guineas which first appeared were now covered with gold double eagles and there were a few silver coins in the bottom of the cask the three soldiers hugged one another with delight we are rich cried philip let's count our treasure said coleman the double eagles first fifty to a thousand forgotten was the old man of the mountain forgotten were their weariness and the lateness of the hour as they eagerly fell accounting they piled the shining yellow columns on the mantelpiece and when that was full without stopping to count the thousands they began bunches of piles on the hard floor they could hardly believe that such a treasure had fallen to their possession in their greedy delight they utterly forgot the old flag of the thirty-five stars and the total defeat of the union armies as they toiled and counted philip was the first to yield to the demands of tired nature with his hands full of gold he sank down on his bunk and fell asleep lieutenant coleman was the next and as the cock began to crow at earliest dawn bromley bolted the door for the first time since the house had been built and crept exhausted into his blankets the treasure was found as shown by the diary on friday april fourteenth in the year eighteen sixty five on the very night of the murder of the good president whom the three soldiers believed to be living somewhere a monument of failure and incapacity the entry was in a few brief words and by the sunday which followed lieutenant coleman would not have exchanged the four blank leaves of the diary for the whole treasure they had dug up after the first excitement of their discovery they began to realize that the yellow stamped pieces were of no value except as a medium of exchange and that as there was nothing on the mountain for which to exchange them they were of no value at all if they had found a saucepan or a sack of coffee in the cask they would have had some reason to rejoice so it fell out that within a week's time the gold was looked upon as so much lumber and the cask which held it was kicked into a dark corner neglected and despised some of the coins were even trodden under foot and others lay among the chips at the door on the evening of the second sunday after the discovery of the gold they sat together outside the door of the house and tried to think of some likely thing the cask might have held more useless than the guineas and the double eagles and hard as they tried they could name nothing more worthless the result was that they turned away to their beds feeling poor and dissatisfied and down on their luck 
now it happened as the three soldiers lay asleep in their bunks that night and while tumbler slept too with his nose and his hairy paws in the light cool ashes of the fireplace for the nights were warm now there came up a brisk wind which blew across the mountain from the southwest this rising wind went whistling on its way tossing the tree-tops up on the hill above the birches whirling the dry leaves across the plateau scattering them on the field below the ledge and even dropping some stragglers away down into the cove far below at first this wind only shook the tuft of grass that overhung the lost envelope and then as it grew stronger whirled it from its snug hiding-place and tumbled it over and over among the dry chestnut burrs and the old grey dead limbs if the envelope came to a rest this wind was never content to leave its plaything alone for long when it landed the little paper against a stump and held it fluttering there until that particular gust was out of breath the envelope fell to the ground of its own weight only to be picked up again and tossed on little by little always in the same direction until at last it lay exposed on the brow of the hill to a braver and stronger blast which lifted it high into the air and sent it sailing over the roof of the house this envelope with the names of the three soldiers and their hiding-place written out in a fair round hand might have sailed along on the southwest wind until it fell at the door of the post-office in the cove but for the queer way it had of navigating the air it would turn over and over on its way or shoot up or dart to one side or take some unexpected course and so just as it was sailing smoothly above the house its sharp edge turned in the wind and with a backward dive it struck hard on the rock below philip's leech just a breath of wind turned it over and over on the stone until it fell noiselessly into the pool of lye now lieutenant coleman chanced to come out first in the morning and when he saw the lost envelope floating on the dark brown pool alongside a hen's egg which had been placed there to test the strength of the liquid he was glad it had blown no farther the paper had turned very yellow in the strong potash and so he fished it out with a twig and carried it across to the branch by the slow john and dipped it into the water when he picked it out it was still slimy to the touch and the letters had faded a little he brushed a word with his finger and the letter dissolved under his eyes he gave a great cry of joy for in that instant he saw the possibility of converting into blank paper for keeping their records the five hundred and ninety-four pages of the revised army regulation of eighteen sixty three chapter twelve